Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and today we're going to be talking with Dr. John Coe, who is a friend and mentor of mine, who works with the Institute of Spiritual Formation out at Biola University, my alma mater, shout out. And uh, he has also written an essay called Resisting the Temptation of Moral Formation. If you've ever taken the Following Jesus course online, then you had to read that. And it's been super transformative for a lot of people just because it touches on an issue that so many of us deal with. And so if you haven't taken the Following Jesus course, or if you've never read that essay, then you can go to watermark.org forward slash equipping. And there are online cohorts that go through that course on a consistent basis. So go sign up for one and take the course. I think you'll find it really helpful. But today we're going to be talking to John just about the danger that moral formation presents to us in the Christian life. So you guys enjoy this conversation. We are excited today to have on the phone with us from sunny Southern California, Dr. John Coe. He is a professor out at Biola University and is kind of like a spiritual formation Yoda. <laughs> if you're gonna, no. if, if there is such thing as like a spiritual formation Yoda, I would expect it to be somebody like John Coe. So uh. he has been teaching in Christian spiritual formation for a long time and has influenced my life quite a bit. Part of my doctoral work, if you listen to this podcast, you know I've I've been working on that. And during that program, I was uh, assigned an essay called Resisting the Temptation of Moral Formation. And if you've taken the following Jesus course, then you know what this paper (laughs) is. And uh, John is the author of that and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we are excited to have him on the call with us today. So, John, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, it's great to be here. And it is sunny here in California. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> in, rub it in, in man. California. <laughs> it's beautiful. Out. <laughs> I love it. So tell us just a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you become interested in spiritual formation and get into where you're thinking about these things and teaching about them and just your background? Help us understand you. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if I go back, you know, I'm 64 now, but if I go back to when I came to the Lord at 19, I really, I fell in, I went to a Bible Institute and I fell in love with the scripture. So I, I went to Bible college for the purpose of being a pastor. But, you know, while I was there, I, I fell in love with, you know, school and academics. So I kept doing degrees, but what began to happen is, is I fell in love with theology. I also fell in love with apologetics. And so I was going on in programs in apologetics and theology and coming back to teach at Talbot. There was still the pastoral side in me, and there was always a desire to grow spiritually and, and to understand that. But what really I think was a major change in my life is when I came to the Lord, I experienced just uh, – in an incredible explosion uh, in my own life of the closeness of God and in prayer. And by the time now that I'm coming back to teach theology and teach apologetics at uh, Talbot School of Theology, I just went through a time of real darkness in my own life where, you know, my prayer life had kind of begun to wither a bit, but especially the idea of, you know, God, where are you? God seemed so distant. And in my own life, the Lord was just revealing more of my struggles, my problems. And, and so by the time that I come back to teaching, I would say that the Lord was, was beginning to present to me issues in my life that were front and center. So even though I'm teaching apologetics and I'm teaching systematic theology, my own spiritual life became major question. 
And so that, that began a bit of a journey of, you know, Lord, what is going on? And I didn't know how to talk about that because at seminary, I was trained again in theology and apologetics, but I didn't really understand the the personal spiritual life of just, Lord, what what's going on in prayer? Why aren't I having more victory over, you know, personal sin? What's going on? I'm working hard at this faith. And so during that time, also the School of Psychology, the Graduate School of Psychology at Biola, they asked me to do some teaching there. And so I began teaching clinical psychologists theology as well. And they asked me to begin to study a little bit of psychology and so I could kind of do integration. And that even that even became a problem because now I was studying psychology, learning even more about the problems in my life. And it was starting to get overwhelming. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think this goes back about um, now about 26 years ago. I At that point, my deans arranged for me to go on a retreat. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say this was a real low point of my spiritual life where I was just like, Lord, I don't, I don't know where you are. I pray. I just feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Lord, I'm just seeing more of my struggles, what's taking place. So mm-hmm. I went on a retreat and this was not something I did. You know, I'm a, I'm a philosopher theologian. So, you know, I think I don't go on retreats. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so on this retreat, it was really a broadside. It was really a time where the Lord, he took me down into such deep places of my sin and uh, he just, he really just kind of broke my heart. Mm. And I remember just being in this cabin on this retreat and I would see a retreat leader each day. And uh, I was just weeping over what I'd seen in my life, weeping over my sin, weeping over what I'd become. I'd been a professor now about 10 years and uh, I'd been married about 17 years by that time. But during that retreat, I began to experience the love of God in the spirit like I had never known. Mm-hmm. And so that was really a watershed for me. And so when I came back from that retreat, I decided I wanted to give the rest of my life, not to study apologetics or philosophy and theology or integration. I really want to understand the spiritual life. I wanted to understand what happened when I was a young believer and God seemed so close. It was such an explosion in my life. And what happened over those years where my prayer life just got darker and darker? What was the spirit of God doing? And then what happened on that retreat? And so I just began studying the the spiritual life and uh, everything I could in the scripture and what the ancients said. And that just led to a whole new different life uh, of now wanting to uh, learn about walking in the spirit, wanting to open to what the cross was all about, how that affected our spiritual life and how to help others in this. And so that led us to ultimately starting the Institute for Spiritual Formation at Talbot. And so that was 20, 20 some years ago. I love it, man. It's interesting because as you talk, you're, I mean, probably some people in our audience are going, wait a minute, you were, you were like a Christian theology and philosophy professor and you were struggling in your spiritual life, like for 10 years, like what, like what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think that uh, I think that a lot of that reaction, though, is because so often we equate spiritual maturity with spiritual achievement or something like that. Yeah, and uh, or even and, theological knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. surely you're surely you have a robust spiritual life because you have these degrees. Or yeah, and it's whatever the expression is, whether it's intellectual or in our context, a lot. A lot of times it looks like activism, you know, like how involved are you yeah. in ministry? And and yet those are not reliable metrics for spiritual mm-hmm. health. And right. so talk to us about 
this danger that you uh, see in the church that you call moral yeah. formation. And right. I, I understand too that you you worked on the idea of, of virtue ethics, virtue formation for your PhD, right. going back all the way to Plato and Aristotle and those guys. And so yeah. tell us like, what is moral formation and why does that present such a danger to the church? Yeah, you know, because it's kind of a double-edged thing here because my PhD was actually in uh, in virtue ethics and Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas. I, I learned a lot about uh, the nature of the training of our virtues and developing to be a healthy moral person. But you know what? Um, we have to think of this kind of developmentally because we start out with our children doing moral training, moral development, because we see that God has, and this is Proverbs, you know, that God has made us with certain kind of capacities. And if we train those capacities well, we train them virtuously. Well, usually, you know, as you are sowing virtuous behaviors, we reap some of the benefits of being a, a healthy person, a person who's not lazy, a person who's, you know, diligent, a person who's kind, etc. And so these are very good things. And we, we want to do this with our children. And we want to do it in our spiritual life as well as, as, as young believers. But here's the kind of issue that's, that's kind of, uh, we have to come to grips with was that our natural virtues can never achieve the righteousness of God. When we think theologically about righteousness, there's no such thing as our righteousness. It's his righteousness. So it's either his righteousness that's imputed to us. That's good. That's by faith in Christ, or it's his righteousness that's imparted to us. And so it's, it's learning to receive this new life within us. And so as a young believer, we often still are growing in kind of our own power. We don't know yet what it is to rely upon the spirit, right? That's going to be something that we're going to grow into. And so when we hear the commands of God, it's very easy for us to just say, oh, okay, I'm to love my wife. Well, that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to love my wife. I'll work as hard as I can with that. Or I hear a sermon on praying without ceasing. And I'll say, well, gosh, I'll work hard on that. And so I'll I'll, I'll now try to go. And, And this is totally fine. However, the fact of the cross, the fact that Jesus died for us, that tells us that there is something about our behavior, our actions that will never achieve salvation. They'll never achieve this righteousness of God. And so at some point in time, the person who's trying to be good in life has to come out of hiding. Yeah, good. They, they have to come out of hiding. They have to stop covering. At some point, you have to come out and say, just for salvation, Lord, this isn't working. God, I need you. Maybe I've been a wretch or maybe I've tried to be a good person. Whatever it is, Lord, it's not working. I need you. And then we come out of hiding. We're not trying to cover ourselves. We're not trying to you know, fool God. And we're, we're honest with him at conversion. That's a wonderful thing. Now, here's the thing. The temptation is over time we kind of go back to the old way. Yeah, right. Good. And, and the way you can kind of know this, the kind of test for this of whether you're, you're slipping into old moralism is, let's say you hear a sermon and the sermon is on loving your spouse. And as you hear the sermon, if your first and abiding response is, wow, yeah, you know, I, I'm not, my marriage isn't that good. Wow, I really need to work harder on it. Yeah. 
time to double down my effort or something like that. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to work, or I hear a sermon on prayer and it's like, wow, I'm not praying that much. Yeah, sorry, Lord, I I really need to pray more. If that's my first and abiding response, then I know I'm tempted by moralism because here's what moralism is. Moralism is the temptation to use my efforts as a way to deal with my shame and guilt. Now, we got to think about that. Moralism is the attempt to use my efforts as the way to deal with my shame and guilt. Now, for a non-believer, that's pretty constant. That's how many non-believers, they, if you tell them they're going to hell, they'll say, well, I'm not, what do you mean? I'm a good person. I, I do whatever. And so notice they're using their goodness as a way to hide from guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Well, here in the Christian life, we would never say that our works are the answer to our guilt and shame. We would, we would always say not only Christ is the answer to shame and guilt, but now in the Christian life, you can actually see in our actions, we betray some deep beliefs. Mm, good. So here's what could happen. And this is why preachers really need to help us in this is as a preacher is preaching a, a really good sermon on marriage or a really good sermon on prayer. He, he needs to kind of say, now look, the first response to this is not, well, God, I just need to work harder on my marriage or God, I need to work harder on my prayer. No, here's the first thing you need to do. Like Luther used to say, you don't run to your works. When guilt and shame are provoked and whoa, yes, yeah, something's wrong with me. We don't run to our works. There's only one place to run to and it's the cross. Yeah, good. As Luther would say, we fly to the cross. And so as a preacher, I'm going to say, look, you know what you do? I'm going to give you a minute, two minutes here, right at the end of this sermon. And we've been talking about your relation with your spouse. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come out of hiding. I want you to remember, remember when you were converted, you came out of hiding. Don't immediately say, I'm going to work harder. And here's what you should do. Come out of hiding and tell God the truth. Mm. Tell him the truth because it's the truth that's going to take you to a new place where you may realize John 15, 5. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So here's what the truth may be. God, God, the truth is I really am struggling in my marriage. Mm -hmm. The truth is I I don't even like her anymore. Mm -hmm. The truth is I don't even want to talk to her because all we do is fight. Or the truth is, Lord, in my prayer life, I don't even want to talk to you because I'm bored. I feel like you don't listen. God, I don't know where you are. See, now we're coming out of hiding. We're telling the truth. And now... The problem's getting worse. Hmm. But notice, as the problem's getting worse, it's the truth. And now I'm beginning to see, God, I need forgiveness. I need daily forgiveness. God, I need your strength because I don't know if I can handle this marriage by myself. Hmm. So moralism is the quick patchwork that we do to try to handle our shame and guilt, just like we did as non-believers. And now it's, we've dragged that habit of heart right into the Christian life. But Paul wants to say, look, if, if that's what you do, this is, you know, he'll say in, in Galatians 5, then Christ will be of no benefit to you in the Christian life. You're, you're on your own. You're just, the power is going to be when we come out of hiding and go to the cross and open to his love and forgiveness. And then on that basis, say, because I'm totally accepted by you, I'm totally forgiven by you, Lord, what would it be now in the spirit to try to deal with this marriage? What would it be like to try to pray honestly with you? 
So here's some of the core problems. But we're but because of original sin, we're born this way. We're like Adam and Eve. We hide and cover. Yeah. And what's funny, or maybe it's not so funny, but the human race generally chose morality as the way to hide and cover. Yeah. That's the incredible thing. Morality was supposed to lead us to God, I need you because I, I don't want to do this on. I want your spirit. But morality has generally kept us at bay from God. And so as a Christian, our view of morality is this robust morality in the spirit now on the basis of the cross, not using it as a way to hide, cover, and feel good about myself. So that's kind of a general introduction That's good to this. I have two thoughts. They might be a little disjointed, so... Listener, with me. One, I was just thinking through what you were saying about your first response to listening to a sermon or to hearing something of, hey, I need to work harder, I need to work harder. And my first response was, well, how is that different than conviction of the spirit? And then you kept talking. I was like, oh, no, I struggle with this so deeply. I don't even recognize it. Uh, But just thinking through when the spirit is convicting you that your gut response should be, I am unable like that should be yeah. what you turn to. And instead, I know for me, and I, I'm sure for so many listening, it truly is, oh, I need to do better. And those are really yeah, different. Totally. And so just thinking through what does it look like to reform in that way, to change yeah. from I need to do better to I can't do anything at all. And I love that your your answer to that was, hey, you rendered God in prayer. And so I was even right. just thinking as people are listening, I'm sure some of the things that you were modeling and prayer of God, I can't do this. God, I don't even like my wife anymore. God, I am feeling this way. So many people are probably thinking I can't be that honest with God. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's why you you have to come back to this is a retraining because, you know, as I think of spiritual formation, it's retraining the old habits. Cause you know, here I talk about this stuff all the time Mm -hmm. and yet it happens to me continually. Yeah. Right. I get convicted about something and my first response, it, it's the old deep habit of the heart that says, John, just work on your marriage. Yeah. John, you just got to work on your prayer life. And I, I've literally stopped myself right in the middle of it and said, John, stop it. <laughs> no, John, here's the, here's the way to, to change this as in the beginning of a habit is now come out of hiding and tell God the truth. Yeah. No, God, wait a minute. Here's the truth. And the truth is that, you see, when we, when we tell the truth, there's a shifting that takes place in the old habituated structures of the heart because now the heart is now learning a new pattern of, whoa, no, let's not cover this. Let's not hide. Wow, what would it be to come out of hiding? Because here's the new habit is to come out of hiding and to be open to the love of God, mm. that because it's ultimately me opening to the truth because what may happen is I'll realize, shoot, Lord, this is really true. I don't think I can do this without you. See, it's one thing to say John fifteen five, just theologically. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So I need to learn to abide in him. It's another thing to experientially go to a place of brokenness where you actually in the heart feel, oh, crap. This is worse than I thought. Yeah, right. See, this is always what happens in therapy. Okay. Is people who go to therapy, they discover, oh my gosh, this is worse than I yep. thought. Coming out of hiding in prayer can take us to the same place. And, and you know what that does? Mm-hmm. That then opens the soul to, Lord, 
I don't even know what it means to depend upon you, but God, I know I need to do that. And so here I am. God, help me. Help me. Be with me. You know, here. And so now I'm open to the Spirit in in a new way. That's so good because I can think, one, God doesn't want to hear that or I should be better before Him or whatever. But even you go back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and God knows where they are and He calls out, Where are you? He wants them to talk to Him. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's just encouraging to go back to scripture and yeah. see that's God's character is he wants to hear from you. He wants to know. Yeah. And I think of in the book of Hebrews, you know, Hebrews talks about the, you know, in Hebrews 4, that the word of God is living and active and sharper. It's able to cut open the heart. And then he talks about with whom this God we have to do with. And it sounds like, oh, gosh, I mean, this is scary. But then the next verses are, and we are now because we have this great high priest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we are so to good. draw near with confidence, right. with full assurance of faith, meaning I'm fully accepted in Christ because of his imputed righteousness. I'm fully accepted by him. And because of my sins imputed to him, I'm fully forgiven, no condemnation. So Jesus says, I'm to draw near with full confidence of faith and to receive mercy and grace mm-hmm. and to find help. You know, that's why when I, you know, I, I was preaching for about four years. The telos of preaching to me is to bring people to prayer, is to bring people out of hiding, out of covering, and to bring them to draw near to God and to begin to ask God, God, what do I need? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not so much wanting to give people three or four things to do at the end of the sermon. I'll, I'll sprinkle that in through the sermon. But really, at the end of the sermon is we're going to prayer. We're coming out of hiding. We're going to see ourselves because we need to find that place every day. Lord, I need to abide in you. Yep. Because apart from you, I can't. I can't do this Christian life, and that's where I need to live. Yeah, that's where I think my research that I did for my dissertation comes into. I saw not only in my own life, but in the lives of a whole bunch of other people that one of the primary things that keeps them from coming out of hiding are these false narratives that people have about who God is. Yeah, He's not someone to be trusted or really, frankly, more often than not, he's someone to be feared. Yeah, And so a lot of our covering and hiding our defense mechanisms against our wounded image of God. Mm-hmm. And, and it keeps us from, you know, you hear a pastor going, okay, we're going to go to prayer. And it's, for most people, far from being something that's comforting, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know? To go, uh, Karen, you said it earlier, where it's like, I can't be that honest with God. Right. And so uh, how have you seen that, John, as people's God images have healed over time? How have you seen that tension play out? Yeah, you know, you can do this a couple of ways. Uh, But one, I would say, is theologically. You can start there. Second is experientially in prayer. And third is in relating to others. Mm -hmm. And uh, so theologically, that's where we kind of start is I want to help people know what really a theology of the cross is that we believe, you know, in the doctrine of justification. And it has deep implications for our spiritual life, because if all of my sins were really imputed to Jesus, so that's full forgiveness, full forgiveness, no condemnation, then John come out of hiding. There's no reason not to come out of hiding. And so I have to preach, teach this full justification, no condemnation, because then tell him everything. 
take the chance. And then secondly, I do feel that a lot of evangelicals think that they're forgiven, but they don't feel very accepted. Mm, And that's the second imputation is that Jesus' righteousness has been now imputed to us so that the father looks at us in the son so that I'm totally accepted by the father. That's what the reformers said. That's so hard to believe that we're accepted because we know the rot in us. And we know that we're not very acceptable if you just look at us, but that I'm totally accepted. And if I'm totally accepted, then don't try to fake it with him. Don't don't try to cover. Just come honestly to the yeah. Father and say, Lord, help. Work through me. <laughs> Begin to take me word, on a new yeah. journey. God, yeah. I don't want to do this alone anymore. So that's theologically. But experientially, I would say what has really been a major thing for our students is them actually being challenged to come out of hiding in prayer. You won't know what it's like until you do it, until you actually just come out and honestly tell God what's in your soul and see what the Spirit of God does, because this is where I have experienced so much love and forgiveness Mm -hmm. from the Spirit in this activity. And so I want to encourage saints, no, no, do this. But then what might be good is to do it with a person who's kind of wise, hmm. like a spiritual director, a pastor, a friend, or whatever, so that they can kind of help navigate this prayer life. Because it can get, once you begin to get really honest, it can get pretty um, pretty nasty. Down messy, there. yeah, it's a messy deal. <laughs> it should be. In the soul. Yeah. And, and what we need is we're going to need other individuals to be able to hear us hmm. and to model that love. That's good. There is nothing that is not covered Mm. by the death of Jesus. There is nothing. And there's nothing that one can do now who, who puts their trust in Jesus that you cannot find the acceptance and the, the love of the father. And so, but we need others to help this. Totally. It's one thing for somebody to intellectually or conceptually agree that there's no condemnation. Right. It's a whole other thing when somebody has just bared their soul and is vulnerable in a place yeah. where they're no longer covering and hiding and they feel totally exposed. Yeah. And for someone in that moment to say, hey, there is no condemnation. Like right. Those are two very different things, you yeah. know? And it's that yeah. experience of internalizing the love of God that is hugely yeah. transformative. And so I experienced that beginning really, uh, of course, at my conversion, but on that retreat, that's when it really began to, I began to experience that in, in my own prayer life. But, you know, we have found at the Institute for Spiritual Formation, as we have now developed several hundred spiritual directors, and we see that they see Biola students in their training program who are just racked with guilt and shame in their spiritual life. And as now they begin to share it with another person and that person begins to reflect to them God's love and forgiveness. We've just seen how, what a profound impact that has had because Mm -hmm. these kids, they feel so ashamed about what they've done in their life and they feel like they could never share this with others. They feel like it's made it so they, they, they really can't minister anymore because they've kind of put their life on a shelf and just all kinds of guilt stuff goes on. So, so the need for people in the church to have a close encounter 
with another person who can reflect this is just crucial. Enormous. So huge. And yet we're so alone. And yeah. this is a hard this is a hard thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it just like I sit here both encouraged and saddened of like this is totally possible to come out of hiding to come to God and honest and deep prayer and to confess to other people and be fully accepted and fully known and fully loved. And yet we're in a place where we are so afraid to do that because we've been wounded by people who haven't done it well. Or like you talked about our experiences growing up have shaped us and formed us in a way that makes it difficult. And so for people out there who are listening, I would just say, Hey, one step, take one step. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that of just like, hey, for those who are struggling and this feels impossible, what's their one step? I would say this. The first step that one can do is try it in prayer. Just God, here's the truth. This, And share it in as bald and unvarnished a way as possible to share that and see what takes place. And, you know, for some, that will be a great relief and release. It will be, oh my gosh. And the cross covers that too. Again, this is something I can't give them though. This is something they'll have to experience. And for some, that will be a powerful and profound place. But you know, I will say this, for some, the internal world is so messy and it's so convoluted with so many things and voices that if a person does that in prayer. And I tell them, look, and if you feel like you're getting lost in this, you're sharing and it's just, it's taking you into tumble mode in the dryer. You know, it's like, it's like putting tennis shoes in the dryer, just kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. (laughs) If that's what's going on, then you need to seek out somebody. Then you need to seek out a, a wise saint, a pastor and say, I, I need to share with you my heart. You know, I mean, that's one thing about in the the Catholic tradition. I mean, there's a lot of issues in there, but one thing that they were probably right about was the need for this confession experience. Not that a human being can absolve you, but that a human being often can help you process and then reflect that love. And so, so I say, if you can do this in prayer, go there, take the Psalms, the Psalms are just filled with so much that can take you right into your heart. But if you find you're getting lost, then you know, you know, you need another person. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what the one another passages are for. Yeah. And I think too, for us here, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a member at Watermark, then that, that structure is already in place for you. I mean, your community group, they should be knowing these things. And if they're not, or you still don't feel like that, sharing with them is safe, then reach out to us. Our pastoral staff can help you navigate that. But so often our our community groups, I mean, that's your primary way to uh, process this stuff and to allow them the privilege really to be the physical kind of embodiment through the spirit of the acceptance and the forgiveness of God. It's it's a huge aspect of, of spiritual health. And so just to kind of tie up this time, what I'm hearing you say is that there's a lot of messiness in the spiritual life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. and, and so yeah. we should stop pretending. We should stop 
trying to cover and hide that mess with even our good works, our ministry activism, our own personal morality, our own being a, you know, like you said in the essay, being a, a good little boy or girl, you know, like, hey, quit pretending. And so uh, we're going to hang here with John. He'll be back with us next week just to talk about some of the ins and outs of walking out of this very real danger of moral formation. So until then, you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. We are grateful that you tune in with us on a consistent basis. If you haven't gone back and listened to previous episodes, we'd encourage you to go back and check out just the variety of subjects and topics that we've covered on this podcast. And we'd ask you to share with your friends if you think it's helpful and leave us a comment. We've seen a handful of you guys have been doing that. We really appreciate it. We're trying to get the word out. So if you think this is a helpful resource, we'd encourage your help in doing that. You can always shoot us an email at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. We'd love to know what's been helpful or ways we can improve or what topics you'd like to hear us cover. Whatever, really. Karen loves email. All right. Peace.